I'm not bashing the wholesaler, so to speak. You know, uh, I consider him like my wife. Can't live with her, can't live without her. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) What's up, everybody? It is episode 236 of Bourbon Pursuit. I'm Kenny, and we got some news to cover, so let's get to it. The Kentucky Derby Museum is back with the Legend Series. It offers three nights of casual, in-depth conversations with pioneers and titans of the bourbon industry. And each night in the series is hosted by our very own Fred Minnick. And each evening features a different bourbon master who handpicks a selection of bourbons to go and taste through. Each legend shares his or her expertise and engages with guests through their senses as they taste fine bourbons and enjoy appetizers as well. On January 23rd, we'll have Peggy No Stevens, who is our guest back on episode 198 and 204. On Thursday, January 30th, you have none other than Freddie Johnson, who we all know and love, and he's been back on episodes 59 and 115. And wrapping it up on February 6th is Connor O'Driscoll, who you heard most recently on episode 231. Tickets to each event is $75, or there is a complete package for $200. You can buy your tickets right now by going online to derbymuseum.org. Woodford Reserve has released its annual expression of the Double Double Oaked Bourbon. It's part of its annual series that celebrates master distiller Chris Morris's commitment to innovation and craftsmanship. Double Double Oaked is the result of finishing fully matured Woodford Reserve Double Oaked Bourbon for an additional year in a second heavily toasted but lightly charred new oak barrel. The extra year in the barrel creates a bourbon that is distinctly spicier than its original counterpart, known for its sweeter taste and finish. The product is available in limited quantities at Woodford Reserve Distillery and in select liquor stores around Kentucky, coming in at 90.4 proof, with a suggested retail price of $49.99 for a 375 ml bottle. Oklahoma Attorney General Mike Hunter issued an opinion Tuesday that could affect who could potentially obtain a license to sell alcohol in the state. Residency requirements for obtaining a retail license for wine and spirits or even a wholesaler's license in Oklahoma are likely to be found in violation of the Commerce Clause in the U.S. Constitution. Oklahoma currently has a five-year residency requirement for those seeking to obtain a license to sell wine and spirits at retail or wholesale level. In other words, a liquor store owner has to prove he or she has been a resident for five years before applying for the retail license. The same goes to wholesalers. Tennessee had this similar requirement of two years residency for some liquor license, and that rule was challenged and the U.S. Supreme Court deemed it unconstitutional back in 2019, so we'll see where this is going to play out. This week also celebrates 160 years of Early Times whiskey, so here's a quick history lesson. Early Times was originally produced using the quote-unquote Early Times method of whiskey making, and this consisted of mashing grain in small tubs and boiling beer and whiskey in copper stills over open fires. This unique method of production continued until 1918 with Prohibition. For five years, barrels of mature early times whiskey sat idle in the distillery's classic ironclad maturation warehouses. In dire need of whiskey to operate as a bottler and wholesaler during Prohibition, Alzi Brown, owner of Brown Foreman, acquired early time stocks in 1923, the company's first ever purchased brand, and it resumed sales under its medicinal whiskey permit. As Prohibition came to a close, Brown Foreman geared up to begin distilling early times once again. To keep up with bourbon brand's growth, Brown Foreman acquired the old Kentucky distillery, which later became Early Times Distillery, providing a brand a home of its own. 
As whiskey popularity grew, Early Times was one of the first brands to recognize and capitalize on the mixability of bourbon and cocktail trends, which led it to become the number one Kentucky bourbon in America back in 1953. Today, the historic plant has now named the Brown Foreman Distillery, but it remains home of Early Times and stands as the longest continually operating distillery under the same ownership in Kentucky. This year, Early Times is honoring their tradition with a throwback advertisement that once said, the whiskey that made Kentucky whiskeys famous. If you follow Bourbon Pursuit on any of our social handles, you would have seen that Ryan and I, we took a quick trip to Woodenville Whiskey Company last week. We took the 6 a.m. flight from Louisville to Seattle, drove up to Woodenville, which is surrounded by 100 plus wineries, and sat down with the co-founder, Brett Carlisle, and got to know more about their story and what they're producing for an upcoming podcast. Then after that, we tasted through some barrels and selected two that will become Pursuit Series. Y'all, Ryan and I, we can't even begin to describe how good their bourbon is. They're doing everything right with locally sourced grains, a finely tuned still, an operation that was under the guidance of the late, great Dave Pickerel, he go, going into the barrel at 110 proof, aging in rich structures two hours away that mimic the climate of the Midwest, and nothing is getting pulled until it's at least five years old. And if you're in the know already and you've tasted it, then you're probably already a fan. But we are super excited to be able to get these special barrels into the hands of all of you soon and looking forward to an eventual rye release from Woodenville Whiskey as well. Make sure you follow us on social and Patreon for all the latest updates for Pursuit Series. For today's show, it's one of those podcast topics that people love to hear about. It's the inside secrets of the trade that usually no one's willing to talk about. However, we sit down with Mike Bridges. He owns Jack's Liquor Beer and Wine in Fremont, Nebraska. He was also once a rep for distributor for Nebraska Wine and Spirits. He talks about what really happens behind those closed door deals. Who gets the allocation? Is it the high volume stores or is it the small mom and pop shops? And where does most of that consumer frustration really stem from? We cover a lot of ground in this one. I'm sure you're really gonna like it. You know, we like to see what people think of the show as well. Leaving reviews helps new people searching podcasts find us. And you can help us by going to ratethispodcast.com slash bourbon. And you can leave a review for iTunes, Spotify, or Podchaser. We always appreciate seeing these as it helps grow the show and find new listeners. All right, now let's get on with it. You can sit back and relax. You've got Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. If you follow me on Instagram, you may recall this uh, post I put up a few uh, few months ago. It was when I was in California. Somebody had brought me a bottle of Warbringer Mesquite Smoked Southwest Bourbon finished in a sherry cask. I was very excited to taste this because anytime I see mesquite on anything, my mouth starts to water, and I think of my childhood days eating all that great mesquite smoked barbecue, sopping up that sauce with a piece of white bread. I love mesquite barbecue. It's so good. Anyway, I digress. I'm not talking about barbecue. I'm talking about whiskey. So I was very excited to taste this stuff. And which bag did I put it in? I put it in my carry-on, not my check-in. So TSA was very glad to take the bottle from me. They actually thanked me later and said they would have a good time with it. So if you're listening, TSA, I hope you enjoyed it, but you also kind of suck. So anyway, I get a bottle uh, sent to me from the company because I really wanted to taste this stuff. And um, I tasted just the other day, and I was... 
kind of like nervous about tasting this because I love mesquite so much that um, I kind of I, I I'm, I'm always I'm always a little nervous when someone plays around with one of my favorite flavors and um, sure enough it it kind of hit the mark I tasted the mesquite you really cannot you you can't you can't taste this without getting a big old mouthful of mesquite. And it got me to thinking, what are some other uh, products out there that are using uh, smoke techniques for the grains? Well, there's actually quite a few. One of my favorite is the MB Roland um, dark fire. They use a dark fire technique to smoke their corn. Now, dark fire is a term that they use in Western Kentucky for a procedure in which they kind of like slow smoke the tobacco uh, before they roll it up. And MB Rolling, which is in Christian County, Kentucky, applied that nice local technique to their whiskey, and it shows. And they're fantastic. But here's the thing. They are so far left or to the right of what we anticipate bourbon uh, to taste like that if you put if you put this in a flight of regular Kentucky bourbon, you know, this mesquite smoked bourbon or the dark fire bourbon, you're going to think it's flawed if you don't know it's got a special smoking technique to it. So over the years, we have had all of these incredible debates about whether or not barrel finishes such as Angel's Envy are in fact bourbon. Well, now... When you have these smoking techniques being applied, we might have to start applying a new debate to the conversation of what is bourbon. Is bourbon uh, allowed to have smoke applied to the grains? I think that's a question we need to start asking because traditionally it has not been applied to grains. Now, it's, it's applied throughout in uh, scotch and Irish whiskey, but if we start seeing a plethora of smoked grains enter Kentucky bourbon or other states' bourbons, then what we're going to find is there's going to be all kinds of different flavor profiles in Kentucky bourbon or Missouri bourbon or whatever type of bourbon. You may think that's good. Some traditionalists may think it's not. Either way, I'm open for debate. I think it's a good conversation to have. So hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook and let me know your opinion as to whether or not smoked bourbon should in fact be bourbon or should it be called something else. So I look forward to your comments and we may even read them on the air in the next episode of Bourbon Pursuit. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, hit me up on that Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com.
And they're off for another Gift 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000 Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome back to an episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of Bourbon. The trio here tonight talking for a really fun subject because this is actually one that we had talked about it for probably. Ryan and I, we've probably discussed it for maybe over a year or two now of trying to find somebody from the, uh, I don't know, it's it's tough to kind of say, like put an adjective to it, but from the distributor world and having them come on the show and kind of reveal some dirty secrets because it's it's something that's really, really hard to get, uh, you know, nobody for the actual companies seem to want to talk about it. Uh, but we kind of backdoored uh, a little bit to actually make it happen. So I'm kind of really excited to get this juicy scoop on what happens and and why liquor stores get certain allocations, why some don't, do some play favorites, some some maybe do, some don't. I don't know, but I guess we'll find out. Uh, you know, what do you all think uh, we're going to get into tonight? Ryan, I'll hand it over to you. Well, I think distributors are an evil empire and an organized mafia. And so, <laughs> uh, but I, you know, with that, I don't exactly know what all goes on, what takes place. So it would be, I am interested to see what goes on and what takes place. And, you know, maybe there's a world we don't understand and, and why maybe our negative outlook on distributors is maybe not the correct one, but I have a feeling it may be. And uh, so yeah, I'm just we, we've been, <laughs> at you. You're already like my magic eight ball. I already know what it's gonna say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, you know. So that's why we have them on. But uh, no, for sure. Uh, really excited about because, like you said, we we hate on distributors all the time. Especially being in the business now, we even hate them more. So, well, but, I mean, we, let's let's give some context to the story. Like, so what what is it that that we're and let's not say hate, right? We're we, not hate because we, we have to work with them. It's it's a necessary yeah. evil. But kind of talk about like what is the uh, what's what's the what's really grinding your gears right now with it? I mean, basically, it's just a pass through, and you know, for big brands, I can totally understand because uh, the distributors out there marketing and selling for you, helping push product, but like small brands. It's really just a pass through, and it, it 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 seems like they're just getting a piece of pie just because it's mandated through law, and it, it just doesn't seem fair, right? To the people that are actually making the product, uh, don't make as much money as the distributors, or a percentage as much as distributors or the retailer, and and the you know that's that's why I don't like it. Wish we could all be DC. 
Yep, exactly. But we got a we got a long way to go until that happens. What about you, Fred? Do you have a do you have Fred a, probably a, has a more realistic uh, outlook on it? Well, do you I, have a, a love or, or disdain. Some of my best friends are distributors, like very high up, high, very high up in the food chain. Um, and the you know the San Francisco World Spirits Competition has several fellow judges who are distributors. So I I know the business very well, and and I know kind of. Um, you know that they are the they they're the cogs that really make uh, this this world work, and they also have a, a very powerful lobby, and uh, it's it's incredible. It's incredible because you know what a lot of Ryan said is 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 not untrue, and the distributors would say the same thing <laughs> a lot of times. <laughs> um, you know, but at the same time, the reason why distributors are, they have so much power is they can always go to like, uh, you know, the, the government and say like, we are the, we are the line of legal age drinking. Like you don't have, um, people ensuring that accounts aren't serving, um, you know, serving to minors and the distributors actively, actually kind of you know police that so they they have built in um a network in the in this country that our government cannot cover and so when when we ever come to talking about getting rid of distributors they can always raise their hand and say well we're kind of the reason why your 16 year old isn't getting drunk all the time and that and that's the picture they paint and you know maybe it's accurate. I don't know, but um, they're very good at protecting themselves. It kind of sounds like the TSA because the TSA has never actually stopped a terrorist attack. They are a false sense of security in the day. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, so I'll, I'll give you my TSA story. The to, in their defense, <laughs> I was in uh, I was in Louisville, and a guy ahead of me had a a, a loaded handgun in a oh shit. In, you should know. You should. I mean, I think the general populace knows you can't walk in with a handgun to the. Yeah, and this is this is like a a fifty five year old guy, and he's like, "Oh man, I left it in there, and oh, I thought it was in my check in, and you know, I don't know what happened to him. I mean, I I, I looked, but there, I never saw any reports about it. But uh, he, but I don't know what he was going to do with that. But I know that TSA stopped that guy with a loaded handgun from getting into the a Louisville plane. So. Well, that's a first. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and introduce our guests tonight. So tonight we are today, whoever, whenever you're listening to this show, we have Mike Bridges. Mike is the minority owner and general manager of Jack's Liquor and Wine in Fremont, Nebraska. So Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So before we kind of dive into this, you know, I kind of want to give people a, an understanding of, of you we always like to start off with one question is, how did you get into bourbon? To the modern age bourbon, I got into it uh, when a guy named Brett Atlas stumbled into our store. And he he's walked a, up. He's a, pretty, he's, a, he's a friend of the show. I think we're all pretty relatively familiar with him. Absolutely. Yeah, Before that, it was just drinking it. But, uh, you know, he walked up to the counter with about 17 different bottles of things. And so I started asking questions and, uh, you know, we had some Elijah Craig, 12 year old label, both sizes. We had, you know, 750s, 175s. We had some Lafroy 18 year and some different things. 
And that conversation led to another conversation, which, you know, he mentored me on things to look for and things to ask my distributor for. Um, Oddly enough, things that they wouldn't volunteer to me unless I, you know, started asking the questions. Uh, When I worked for the distributor six, seven years before that, um, my biggest experience with bourbon is when Maker's Mark, uh, we couldn't get 175s or liters because they ran out of juice and they were low on supply. So that would have been 2007, 2008. So it was, uh, it was pretty interesting. But yeah, it's, uh, it's been a world of change since basically 2015. You know, now that you say that, I don't even think Maker's Mark still makes the 1.75. Do they? I don't, I don't know if they ever, do they ever come back? I can't remember. They do. Absolutely. Yeah. They do. All right. That's, that's the number one, uh, the number one skew in like, you know, five or six uh, party marts. No. Oh. Uh, well, how about it? Big ballers up in there then. So I, I guess kind of let's, okay, let's, let's re- rewind the, the clocks a little bit. So kind of talk about, um, you know, your time working in the, the food and beverage industry as well. Cause I know you had mentioned that uh, before we had started recording. You know, when I was in Phoenix for the 16 years I was there, I was at the Phoenician resort all 16 years and was everything from a uh, banquet server all the way up to director of destination services when I left uh, and moved back to Nebraska where I'm from. So um, that's kind of where it was, but those years were all spent in the wine world. So when I came back to Nebraska and got my job with then Nebraska Wine and Spirits, I was considered quote unquote a wine expert and did a lot of my own wine dinners uh, for my customers and things like that. Um, And again, other than drinking Knob Creek back in the day and uh, learning what Maker's Mark was when we didn't have it to sell and getting yelled at by every account you watch, that's kind of where it was and and how, how it went. And then, so that was at the Phoenician and then kind of talk about uh, your transition into working for the distributor side. You know, oddly enough, I just took a director of food and beverage job at the brand new Hilton in downtown Omaha when I got a call from an old high school coach of mine who was in the distributor business and asked if I really had any interest in moving to my back to my hometown as he had a salesman job that he thought I'd be really good for and good at. And that's how that started. And that's how uh, that came to be. And that was back in 2006. It's always about knowing the right people. Very true. You know, nobody, nobody actually applies for a job anymore. It's just all inside handshakes. I think that's how it all goes. You know, what's ironic about that. I had applied at three different distributorships before that and never got an interview. <laughs> well, this will show them. How about yeah, that? That's exactly right. No. <laughs> if I didn't do Fred's Yard or No Kenny, they would not be part of Perm Pursuit. So, there you go. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> <laughs> Yard looks nice this year, by the way. See, right? that's, that's what happens. You know, he actually sharpened my blade on my mower. Fred, does he do that for you? Fred doesn't. No, uh, <laughs> you know, I actually don't mow my yard right now. <laughs> <laughs> So back to conversation here. So you were working, uh, what was the distributor called uh, at that time? Because I know you had mentioned it, it eventually got either bought out or purchased by a a larger one. Yeah, at the time it was Nebraska Wine and Spirits. And then there was also United Distillers, which was a separate side. So Nebraska Wine and Spirits was Beam, if you will, and United was Brown Foreman. And then Republic National Distributing Company came into the state, bought both companies, and then you had a Falcon and Eagle division in Nebraska at RNDC. Gotcha. So it's just it, the empire just keeps growing for, for Republic then. Correct. Yep. 
So let's, um, you know, I guess let's let's kind of dive into the meat of the subject here because this is this is one of the things that people are always fascinated to to know more about. And I mean, let's just kind of just go blunt and straight into it. Like, how do allocations work? Like, how do people get something of one thing versus something else? You know, it's going to sound wrong, but it's pay to play. And I don't mean illegally pay to play. It's I asked that question four years, three years ago. How do I get more allocated items? How do I get barrel picks? How do I do this stuff? And basically it was support the brands uh, that those portfolios are a part of, stack them high in the store. And, you know, so we did it. And we have an owner, a majority owner with uh, with endless funds and we bought and stacked. And um, if you came into our store, it, it would it would kind of probably surprise you for the for the small size it is, the amount of displays we have and how big they are. Um, I know we're talking bourbon, but it's not odd that we buy 1,200 cases of Windsor Canadian at a time just because it's so popular in Nebraska. Um, I've always got 100 beam on the floor. I've got 50 to 80 Maker's Mark. Um, and then you go to Sazerac and everything they they do, uh, often 200 Fireball, you know, everybody's favorite whiskey on the floor. Um, and that's how we got to where we are. And it really did. You know, last year when we got to do an OWA barrel, a Blanton's and a Buffalo Trace all at the same time was kind of, if you will, our arrival. And yeah, but we had to really invest in that to get to where we were. Then if you fast forward to where we are now, um, I've got some executives from RDC coming out tomorrow because I don't feel I'm getting what we deserve um, with certain things that are coming out um, and based on allocations. So they'll tell you that. But yet when things like um, Old Fitz 13-year spring edition come out, every account gets one bottle. So whether you buy a lot or you don't, I know that's a different distributor, but uh, it gets very frustrating to display what you do and invest what you do and then sell it and then get the same one bottle allocation everybody else does or the other 60 people uh, in the state. And nobody wants to believe that. They come into your store and you tell them, hey, we got one bottle and it went to our best customer. They will not believe you. They'll sit there and argue with you. Is there any like transparency that happens between a rep and the business? Because when I when I think about this, you know, I, I come from a tech background, and there's a lot of stuff out there about like open data collection. Like uh, the government does it, and you have access to be able to see exactly like what's happening here and there. Um, but is is everything sort of like, hey, my name's Jim. Um, I'm your account. Whatever you want, you have to go through me. And you say, Jim, I bought you know, X, Y, Z cases last year, I want to be able to get A, B, and C. And he's like, um, that's just not in my calculator. <laughs> like, is, is, is there something that like, is there a level of transparency there or is it just completely like all blocked off because of one person? You know, it's a little of both. Um, you really, it's constant, 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 you know, badgering of that salesperson who then has to get a hold of his boss, who then has to get a hold of his boss. Um, just recently, as a matter of fact, last week, Whistlepig uh, became available in the state of Nebraska. Well, we've known it's been coming for about, I don't know, six weeks. So I texted my salesperson to say, hey, I hear Whistlepig's in stock. When will it show up? He's like, no, it's not. And so I screenshotted an event in Lincoln or in Omaha, Nebraska, that was doing a launch party for Whistlepig. He had no idea. Neither did his boss. And so that's why nobody's, yeah, nobody's sharing emails. No. So that's why they're coming out to meet with me tomorrow, you know, because then I throw a fit to say, 
listen, I'm not saying that I should get all this allocated whistle pig or I should be the first shot at it. I just want to be communicated to because we have customers that walk through that door or text or message me all day long about, hey, I see whistle pigs here. I'm going to stop out and get some. Oh, sorry, we don't have any. And then they, again, some will understand and others flat out call you a liar that, oh, yeah, you did. Who'd you, who got it? Brett, who got it? George, who got it? You know, and they'll, they'll sit there and try to pick off names about who gets what and why they got it. So are they up front, like, say, like, uh, so this is how many, this is a, like you said, the Walker's whiskey. I don't even know what she said, blended whiskey. And uh, right. this is how many, this is what it's going to take to get on those high allocation lists. Or do they even give you a number to shoot for? Or they're like, here's the plan, you know, to get to those. Um, or is it just like, spend as much as you can and we'll you figure know, it we'll, out we'll, later. We'll figure yeah. it out. Yeah. That You know what? You just nailed it. It's like, you know, uh, buy everything we have to sell you. Uh, end of month, each month, we're going to have deals. And I listen, I'm not bashing the wholesaler, so to speak. You know, uh, I consider them like my wife. Can't live with her, can't live without her. I mean, <laughs> you know, we need them as much as they need us. And that's the frustrating part. But um, so, yeah, it's, you know, uh, two story. you know, or one little story was two years ago, after all the BTAC came out and PAPI allocations came out, um, they came in uh, into November wanting to know if I would do a buy on 1792 small batch. And I said, well, what's the deal? And it was something like buy 20 cases, get eight free. And I don't think they thought I was going to say yes. And I said, well, yeah, that's a no brainer. <laughs> yeah. They had their bosses with them. And all of a sudden he's like, yeah, you know, uh, get in the computer. I think we can get him another three GTSs, you know, for doing this. And so I looked at him and I just said, that's what irritates me. You've mm-hmm. got extra bottles because I bought this. Now, come on. What, what, you know, what, what is the deal here? Um, why wouldn't that have been distributed according to who buys and who deserves it a month ago when it got distributed? Why do you have bottles sitting back? You know, they'll tell you, oh, we had people that didn't pick up or, you know, name me one retailer that gets allocated three bottles or something like that that doesn't pick it up. <laughs> They're going to do it every time. So, you know, it's a little bit frustrating, but um, yeah, that's to answer your question. There's no general number other than, hey, just buy and we'll make sure you take, get taken care of. So, but getting taken care of, as you know, there's never enough to go around. You know, if I get last year, probably mix and match 13 to 14 bottles of, of Pappy Van Winkle between the 10 year all the way up to the 23 year. Well, those are gone before they even hit the store because we sell them to the to our best customers. Um, we don't play favorites, but I've had people come in the store and just yell at me as to why I don't have a lottery for those. Well, I understand that, but at the same time, then how do I explain to one of my regular customers that spends a thousand dollars a month? Oh yeah. You're not going to get any because we're going to, we're going to raffle these off. So people that don't shop here, get them. So let's go back to your distribution days for a minute. Okay. What, What was your, what was your last year as a distributor? Uh, 2014. Okay. So you would, you, uh, you experienced a little bit of the boom. You experienced some of the rise of the craft, the craft brands. This is something I get told by a lot of craft distillers. Now craft is that, you know, people can, can say it's good. It's not good. But the fact is, is they get distribution in a lot of these markets. And then, the bottles just sit in their warehouse. Yeah. 
The distributors do nothing to try and promote the brands or get them in a store uh, or to my knowledge, even put them in a catalog to say, hey, this is why we have an inventory. They're just sitting in a warehouse and hoping that, and those those distillers are hoping that uh, someone finds out about them. What, what gets a distributor to get off their ass and try and move product for a supplier, the distiller? You know, Fred, I think there's, there's two ways about that. Oftentimes, um, I, I read all your guys' publications and, and listen and so forth. I learn things from you guys months before our distributor has a clue. So I will like do a screenshot and say, hey, here's a particular product that please look out for me, put it on my list. I really want this. And all the way up to the top, they'll respond, never heard of it. Well, yeah, it's coming. You know, the most recent one was Weller Foolproof. Um, you know, an Elmer T. Lee 100 anniversary or the, the 100 proof that's coming. There's things like that that they don't know about. So to answer your question, a lot of those craft distilleries and craft products it has to be something that we as retailers have heard about that we ask about. Uh, and then they will, um, they'll research or so to speak. And then, oh yeah, I do carry that by the way. Unless somebody is really putting the pressure on them to get it out into the market, it has to, you have to ask about it. Those salesmen have too many other brands and too many other uh, pods, if you will, that they have to hit uh, to get it out in the marketplace. And you're right, even as a salesman, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, if it was the end of fiscal, whether that was June or, or December for a certain brand, I was going after things that I was going to make a bonus on. I was going after, you know, our biggest suppliers on the on the liquor and the wine side uh, to make sure I hit those numbers because that's what ensured I kept my job. So, so let's stay let's stay on the distributor side. Yes, yeah, I also you, have one question about that because I heard some lingo in there I wasn't familiar with. What's a pod? <laughs> yeah, what's a pod? A pod is a placement. So if um, Yellowstone, which is in Nebraska, and I happen to be a, a big fan of, hits the market, they might have a certain amount of pods they have to hit. And a pod means they have 15 accounts they need to do a placement of, which is basically a three-bottle placement. If they get a three-bottle placement at our store, that particular salesman got his pod for that brand. The problem is they come into the store with 22 different brands that need placements or pods. And then it becomes a real estate issue within a store. Gotcha. Okay. Now we now we're starting to talk your language. Okay. All right. So when we so let's take a look at like um, like how the distributors spend money with with uh, on premise and off premise. As you know, it's illegal for them to say, "Hey, here's some cash. Carry this." Correct. But they do spend money in stores. What are how are they able to how are they able to slip under the law to to give retailers and bars money to carry products you know i don't think a lot of that goes on in nebraska anymore i'm not going to say that it doesn't because i think there probably are some exceptions and some things that just don't add up but it like would, what 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 is something that wouldn't add up give me an example you don't have to name any names no, it's uh, a certain store getting um, four bottles of, uh, let's say, uh, Buffalo Trace, William LaRue Weller, uh, the antique collection. And I look across the street going, huh, they do about a tenth of the business we do. And all of a sudden, they got these bottles. And 
the same time those bottles showed up, look at this huge Southern Comfort display that showed up. Well, Southern Comfort's owned by by Sazerac. So um, they need to go in there and figure out a way to get that Southern Comfort in there um, to meet a Southern Comfort number. And what a way to entice them is with some bottles or I know it's happened with with cash or or goods, dealer loaders, as they call them, um, that uh, from golf bags all the way to whatever. That used to run rampant when I was a salesman. I saw that all the time. But to that question, Fred, the um, the oh, the mom and pop distributors going away and corporate America, if you will, the Southerns, the RNDCs, Johnson Brothers, um, that corporate culture is kind of putting into a lot of that stuff. Again, I'm pretty sure it goes on. I've heard stories and I see things, but uh, yeah, that that's kind of how that works. Well, you know, you go to certain um, resort destinations and Diageo will own the entire bar. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll own uh, entire liquor stores. Uh, you go to Vegas and Beam will have an entire hotel. You know, so it's like these things are, are, are not just uh, happening because the, the, the bar owners and the hotel owners happen to be big fans of those particular products. I mean, something's happening somewhere. Yeah. There's an incentive somewhere. Oh, there, there absolutely is. You know, it could come down to, to free goods or, or, or any of that stuff. You know, the conversation as the retailer that I had, uh, because we are one of the bigger ones in Nebraska from a volume standpoint, um, you know, if you ever thought about trying to give us money or buy us, you know what, take whatever money you were going to give us and knock the, the bottle cost down so we can make money. Um, it's never come to that and we never do that. But uh, yeah, I guarantee you there's some of that stuff going on. Now, my son, my oldest son happens to be an on-premise salesman in Omaha. And yeah, there's times where Brown Foreman or or Beam or people will go into a certain bar or a ballpark or College World Series, a certain uh, bar down there. Uh, I remember Cruzan Rum took over probably the most popular bar in Omaha. I'm assuming they give them all these umbrellas and all this other good stuff. And yeah, they'll do that. So, uh, uh, but if if there's money under the table or things like that, I'm not, I can't 100% say that it, it happens. I'm sure it does. So your, your son's in the business. That means... Thanksgiving and Christmas must be kind of heated sometimes. Yeah, the dumb little kid <laughs> thinks craft beer is where it's at. I think. <laughs> he's, been, he's been with us in all of our barrel picks for crying out loud. He's the you know he's we he's been to Kentucky with us three times. We're going back again in July, and uh, you know every time he shows up for the holidays, he wants to bring some fruity beer. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So there was a there was a good question that came in the chat here from Mike Bliss, and it's kind of talking about. Uh, the difference in high volume retailers, you know, you're talking the total wines, the liquor barns of the world versus some value add specialty retailers that are, are sort of your your mom and pop, your corner shops and stuff like that. Where did the where does the line draw in what distributors do in in what they're able to allocate or how do they decide, oh, well, this this store does insane amounts of business. Yeah. So we don't even have to sit there and have an argument with them. We're just going to go and send them a bunch of stuff. You know, sure. They've got to, they've got to take care or, or make happy multiple entities. You know, uh, you've got on-premise, you've got off-premise. So yeah, sure. Bars need a certain allocation as well. Um, you hope that they expose that to more drinkers uh, based off of, you know, 
20 something pours out of a bottle that's going to go out to a bar customer, whereas we're selling it by the bottle. Um, it's a, uh, it's my argument with the wholesalers. It's my argument. It's my fight to say, how does a little uh, bar out in Western Nebraska in a town of 300 people get just as many bottles of Blood Oath Pack 5 as I do? I don't understand that. Uh, especially, again, even with that portfolio, I support Rebel Yell and all those brands as well. Um, and it, it gets tiring for me because I have to then throw a fit and have a conversation with people as to what's going on. I don't want those people to not get products. I understand that they need to build a business, but building a business is in this, this industry, bourbon, if you will, uh, you got to spend money as well. It's no different than anything else that you invest money in to build your business. So I guess I kind of want you yeah. to just talk about that a little bit more because, you know, you were talking about, you know, how does this bar in the middle of nowhere with 300 people get the same allocation or something, but, Honestly, like, how does that happen? Like, is there, I mean, you were, you were on yeah. that side at one point, like, is, is the internal um, workings in here to say, all right, well, let's say all four of us work for a distributor. We all cover different patches. Um, we all get 25% of the allotment and we go decide how 25% we're going to go and do it in our particular market. Like, is that, is that a typical thing? Like, how does it happen internally? Kenny, don't say that. <laughs> that's what happens. That's the other frustrating part. They'll get these allocated items that come into the warehouse and they'll say, okay, division two, you get five bottles, division three, and they'll go down the line and then they'll let these guys decide where they go. Well, you can then get a, you can say, well, I have a really good friend that owns this liquor store. I'm going to make sure he gets a bottle. He doesn't even buy anything from that portfolio, but he does carry Barton vodka on as well. And so they'll get those certain things where my fight with them has always been, hey, somebody at the top of your company needs to start looking at these bourbons. It is what makes this, this liquor industry tick right now and make sure that you're taking care of people that, that uh, one, work hard to get it in the right people's hands. You don't want to get it into flipper hands and things like that. And yeah, I take a lot of criticism at our store. Because I ask for IDs when people come in to buy stuff. I want to know who they are. I want to get to know them. And I want to make sure I'm not going to find it on the secondary market. And, you know, as I did yesterday, oddly enough, with one of our Knob Creek barrel picks that just came in. Um, you know, in the, in the state of Nebraska, if you will, it's, and I know I'm getting a little off, off par here or off topic, but it's illegal to buy or sell alcohol if you don't have a license. Or you can't buy it from somebody without a license. So that flipping market or secondary market is, is very much against the law in Nebraska. But, you know, I want to make sure the people that are buying bourbon uh, and so forth, it's getting into the people's hands that want to enjoy it, share it and develop it. So that's my other fight with the wholesalers to say, because there are stores in Omaha that we can all walk into right now and you can pay $199 for a bottle of Elmer T. Lee that's sitting on the shelf. You can pay $199 for a bottle of Blanton's. You can pay $3,000 for Pappy. And, and I don't understand how those people get an allocation when that's how they put it on their shelves. And the distributors have now said they agree and that they will not get future allocations because of that. We see it all the time here in Louisville. Um, there's plenty of stores that, yeah, right now you can go and you can find a bottle of one oh Weller 107 and it'll have a $99 price tag on it. There's a few stores in the city that do it. However, it's not stopping them from getting allocation 
continual. So, I mean, do you, I mean, when you were on that side, I mean, I don't think gouging or price uh, markups were that big, I think in 2014 timeframe, but I mean, are you starting to really think that distributors are taking this serious? I think they are. I think they're starting to figure it out. Again, this is all new to them too. This is brand new territory for them. You know, um, they have to understand that retailers like myself and others, what's most important to us right now is those allocated items and those bourbons and that diversity and that, that variety and selection. Um, you know, when Willett came to Nebraska, oh, I'm going to say six months ago, uh, maybe it was a little longer than that. Well, you had to buy everything they own before you could get a couple bottles of their family estate stuff. And sure enough, we did. We bought all the pot still, the Noah's Mill, the Rowan's Creek, the old Bardstown, Pure Kentucky, all that stuff. And I've still got it all over our store. Um, still have yet to see any family estate stuff come in. And the Johnson Brothers distributor will say, oh, well, we got to take care of, you know, some of our other customers. Well, this is where I will point the finger. Well, those other customers are the ones that buy 100 cases of barefoot wine. And we all know who those customers are. So I don't do that. And I won't buy barefoot wine at 100 cases at a time. So I can sell it a dollar higher than a grocery store. But that's where you're going to find the family estate stuff in Nebraska. So let's take a look at the suppliers, the distillers. Um, you keep bringing up these portfolios and you're talking about, you know, largely Sazerac, but you mentioned a couple others. You just mentioned Willett. You know, at, at what, uh, how much blame are you putting on the distillers here in this equation? And are you really thinking that they might just be using the distributors as kind of like a front man for the bad guy? Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. How much blame are you putting on the distillers here in this equation? And 
are you really thinking that they might just be using the distributors as kind of like a front man for the bad guy? Um, you know, I don't think so. I honestly, you know, having been out there doing barrel picks now for the last two and a half years, I've kind of learned that, you know, the distillers are pretty hands off, you know, the, uh, the distilleries, they've got the people that their suppliers that go to market. Um, I think some of the distilleries would be pretty amused and amazed at what actually goes on in the marketplace. Uh, I don't think they have the time. It's like a, you know, a, a, a time to, or the time to understand all that, that goes on with that. Uh, They're probably like, if you're taking 25%, you better earn it. I don't care how you earn it. Right. <laughs> Do it. You know, listen, those suppliers put those financial goals to those wholesalers to say, this is what needs to happen. And so then I think the wholesalers do whatever it takes to do it because they don't always know what they're dealing with and what products they have in their portfolio. So mm-hmm. does a would a, a distributor like tell a brand, say like Buffalo Trace, for example, because we keep using them because they're so popular, but uh, would they tell them or advise them that, hey, you need to raise prices because we need to kind of slow down this demand or would a distillery decide that who decides pricing i guess i think that comes from either the you know in that particular case that either comes from buffalo trace or sazerac um and they're yeah, kind I, of, can, I can speak to that that's most definitely uh the distilleries they yeah. they dictate uh srp which dictates the wholesale price amount uh mike if i'm wrong on this you know correct me but the the wholesaler price is usually half of what the uh, SRP is, and then they mark it up, you know, 15, 20% to the retailer. And then you guys mark it up, whatever's left in the margin. Is that about right? I would say that's pretty close, uh, from what I gather. I, I don't think there's as much margin on that first leg that you mentioned from the, to the wholesaler, what the wholesaler, uh, uh buys it at, so to speak. Um, you know, so that, yeah, that's a little, oh, tricky, if you will. Um, again, maybe it's because I'm biased from a retailer standpoint about how much we mark stuff up, but, you know, I just saw somebody got a barrel of Lantons here in Nebraska. Ours isn't going to be here for another six weeks. And I saw what they posted their bottle price at, and I'm just like, holy crap, did Lantons go up again? Or am I just stupid selling it for $55 a bottle still, (laughs) you know? So, uh, but our customers, uh, you know, that's what we want to do. So, but yeah, to your, to your point, I think that's really strong at the the distillery. And that's why I've always respected Sazerac and Buffalo Trace. They are pretty adamant about trying to catch those people that are abusing that retail markup in their retail stores. Right. Now you're not just saying that. So you get a better allocation of Pappy next time. <laughs> <laughs> You're damn right I am. <laughs> He's just Whatever got to talk to his son. He's just got to sweet talk his son. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess the, side. <laughs> I guess the uh, devil's advocate to like pay to play. What do you, what would you say to like, you know, the mom and pop stores have been in business forever and they can't compete on the pay to play just because they're in a smaller town or in a smaller market, but they still have customers they want to take care of and get, you know, some allocation and they've been getting them for years and they were kind of, you know, there before the, before everything kind of happened. Well, that, that's just my devil, the counter argument to this. No, I agree. You know, because I've often thought and, and role played, Hey, what if I went out on my complete own and opened up my own little mom and pop store? You know, I, I know at that point, what I've done with the store we have now will lend no allocations or what I deserve to this new place. 
Um, it's just one bottle at a time. That's what we did at our store. And I think that's what any mom and pop has the ability to do, you know, pick and choose your battle. If you can't pick and choose every supplier that's out there, uh, go after if, if it's Sazerac and Buffalo Trace will then really support those brands. And then, yeah, you're going to get bottles at that point. You know, I think the other misconception is there's more bottles that come into each market than we realize when you realize how many stores are going, those bottles are going out to. So um, there's, there's product available to then develop a customer base and develop uh, a relationship with some key customers. So I got a, Kind of a doozy of a question here. Um, you know, you had mentioned a little bit a while ago talking about there might be like this favorites game that uh, somebody that works a distributor, um, they have a certain store that they'll go and hook somebody up because they carry a well, whatever it is, and they can potentially slide it through their store. How much do you think of allocated items go to things like, I don't know if you consider this something like insider trading where say all of us here, we get 25% of a pie. Um, I know that I really want um, the new bookers, whatever it's going to come out this year, we'll just, whatever it's going to be. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to a store that I like. I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to get you this bottle, but this bottle's mine. You mean the the salesman or their manager coming in saying, hey, you're going to get this bottle allocated to you, but you're going to sell it to me? Exactly. Happens all the time. See, that's the that's the crazy thing. It's like people always talk about access and and trying to make a, a, a free access to everything. And when you talk about even the and I've I've seen it before with my own eyes. Um, it, it happened with a with a Michter's bottle. I think it was a, a twenty or twenty five year uh, bourbon. And I know the store that ran through, and it was just kind of like, oh, it was a favor from a distributor, and they just ran it to the store for somebody to go there and pick it up. So sure. they just had it laying around just for that. I mean, it it kind of blows my mind that that there's this sort of like insider game that you can do because you have access to all this stuff. And uh, yeah, what how how fair is it that you know bourbon has you know a you know in order to get your allocation of of a bourbon, how in the world is it fair to be? Uh, expected to carry a vodka or a low-level gin or a, a, an unattractive tequila it, it seems to me like that, that that's that's the most egregious thing of all happening right now is you're being forced to carry shit you know to get the good stuff fred when you walk into our store and you take your first step in and right to your left you've got about 90 cases of vodka all under the price of $9.99 for a half gallon or a one seven five, uh, from Fleshman's to Barton's and Skoll and Platinum and Smear, well, Smirnoff's a little higher, Pinnacle, um, you name it. Uh, and that's why they're there. And yes, we sell a lot of it. Don't get me wrong. But those brands are there for a reason because there's other brands we could choose, Pop-Off and others. But hey, those are all part of, a lot of those are a part of the Sazerac portfolio. Um, so you purposely can't, you're, you're, you're front loading your store because you feel like it gives you a better chance for that allocation. Absolutely. And I agree. It's horseshit. <laughs> I can say that. What if, what if we all just kind of work together? Cause this could be the way to end vodka. If you think about it, <laughs> uh, if that's the only reason why stores are carrying vodka, then let's just, 
you know, <laughs> circle the wagons and, you know, find a way to put bourbon there. And when you the vodka it. revolt, <laughs> <laughs> the vodka rebellion led by Fred. Well, I, uh, I, this just, it just feels uh, scammy to me. It, it, it's always felt <laughs> like, um, you know, very 1930s, you know, a mafioso, kind of like we were saying. But how else are they supposed to dictate who gets what? What is a better system? What's well, a better I, system? I mean, if you think about it, why not a, a, just a free market system? Like, okay, this is what I want. Like, if people aren't buying X, Y, and Z, like, you shouldn't be has, like forced to be able to carry those. Like, that should... The thing is, is that nothing tripled yeah. all the way back to the distiller where like they have to rethink their strategy or they have to rethink their go to market on a particular product because it's just sitting on the shelves. Um, and if it's and if you get to the point where it's not moving, then it comes all the way back to the producer. It's hard. It's tough because in, in the, those categories, they're all commodities. They're, uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, base price like and so they have to buy shelf space to compete to kind of get their product out there. It happens in cereal. It happens in groceries and in everything. You know, you buy shelf space to kind of get your product. That it's, it's just how it is. That is um, true. When you walk into Barnes & Noble, those books right there, those are all purchased. That space was purchased by the publisher. That's true. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and I've, I've heard stories, you know, with some of the um, uh, chain accounts that, you know, uh, hey, you want this in cap, it's $800 cash. You want this in cap, it's $400 cash. If you want any of the back in caps, it's $200 cash. Again, that's never happened to me directly as a salesperson. Um, I will tell you that, you know, and these people are no longer there. When I was a salesperson, um, I often got asked when I would go in and pitch a deal, well, what's in it for me? And that's when I would walk away and nothing against who I used to work for, but you know, I had the dubious uh, title of the lowest market share in what was the biggest grocery account in Nebraska. Every CL sales meeting, I had to hear about how I did that or had the lowest market share, but I wasn't going to play that game. If somebody else from our company wanted to do that, great, go for it. But, you know, I was going to do it the right way um, But uh, because I was new and scared. But, I, you know, again, I don't know the other answer to what you're saying, Fred, is if, you know, how do you distribute it? They came to me and told me that um, the Liquor Commission in the state of Nebraska said those allocated items need to go to the people that support that portfolio. So I guess you have to define the portfolio. Does that include just the bourbon portfolio, Sazerac, or does that include everything uh, in it, if you will? I do know last year, I'm sorry, in the end of 2017, you had to buy eight cases of Southern Comfort to get a case of Blanton's. Wow. And that's where I flipped out. And I said, wait a second. You know, so, uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting and it's odd. Uh, again, I don't know that you can blame them. Again, I think this is all new to the wholesalers, too, this this crazy game we're in with, with uh, bourbon right now. And, uh, you know, it's... Um, it's tough, but somebody at those dis- or at those distilleries, somebody at those wholesalers, uh, needs to be burning the midnight oil, and they're not doing that to figure out how this all works and and where these products are going and how they're being sold, because the guy from Sazerac, right to my face, and the guy from Brown Foreman that was in the store uh, a couple weeks ago, flat out said they will not support these retailers that are gouging the public. So I'm hoping that's a sign that you know, they're forcing the wholesalers hands 
to not necessarily just give whoever, you know, is on the buddy list um, allocated items. Because then, like like we just talked about, how do you deal with these mom and pop stores that have been in business for 20 years, 30 years in Nebraska that have stumbled onto the bourbon world as well? You know, how do you not take care of them? Mm-hmm. You know, it's you bring up a good point, too. It, it, it should be noted that it is illegal. Uh, federal code, you know, does not allow... Uh, a distiller or a supplier to dictate where where their bottles go. So, like uh, the best they can do is is tell these distributors like we don't want this, we don't want that. They can't outright say don't go to Bob's store because he's price gouging, but they can say something like, "Hey, we don't want to see price gouging," you know. But uh, there 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 is some there is some very particular laws that uh, that the distiller must follow. The distiller to the wholesaler? Yeah. Yeah. So the distiller to the wholesaler, like what they can say to dictate where things go. Um, it's very, you know, and if there's a paper trail there, you know, they always get caught. You see people get, you know, million dollar fines every other year from these, uh, you know, from these larger wholesale companies because they get entangled in, into these like messes. And and the 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 federal government does like, track wholesalers uh, quite a bit closer, you know, than I think people realize. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They do. I, I, I completely agree with that. And I've heard it firsthand and actually seen it firsthand. Um, you know, an odd story when I right before I left to take uh, this job at this liquor store uh, and then, you know, through the luck of success, become an owner. Um, my boss at this particular wholesaler you know, we got, you know, we started seeing things in our computer like, oh, I didn't sell this account this many cases. What's going on here? Didn't think much of it. Just thought it was a computer glitch. And so we're all in a sales meeting and we get asked to go down to this boardroom and there's a state patrol. And it turns out that our uh, our boss in our division was taking things and billing them to accounts and then selling it out of his trunk. Oh, Nice. Let me tell you what I that you want to talk about that uh, that moment where uh, you start shaking, um, you know, and, and then it becomes like accounts that well, wait a second, you know, uh, Mister Salesman in Lincoln, Nebraska. How did you not know that this guy hasn't bought Jägermeister in five years? You know, where do you think he's been buying it from? And so it became quite interesting. And I'm thinking, how, you know, we're the ones that turned this guy in because we started seeing things on our computer. So, yeah, I, I'm assuming there's plenty of ways to get in and around uh, these rules for, for wholesalers. And again, Kenny, to your one of your original points, there is zero transparency. I can't ask the wholesaler, can you tell me how much Buffalo Trace Antique came into the state and where it went? I can't ask them how much birthday bourbon came into the state and what accounts got it. All I know is I got one bottle. Yeah. So that is one um, good thing about the controlled states is that you can, you know, because it's all tax related and public record, you can see exactly where all those bottles went. In in Pennsylvania, there's mysteriously five bottles that disappear every year when they get their happy <laughs> allocation to the I'm congressman. They all go to state senators. Yeah. <laughs> So we've we've now established the fact that there is no math and it's just all kind of like 
uh, just a crazy <laughs> there's, handshake. There's no process. There's it's no process. A- there's there's literally there's nothing. I think we've established that uh, at this point. But here's here's the funny thing that I always find. I mean, it doesn't matter. You you ask any store owner in when it comes to fall release season, and I'm I'm sure that Mike, you hear the same exact thing is, and you're going to say it every single year too is allocations are down this year. It's I mean literally. I've heard that same exact line for the past five years in a row. How are allocations always down every single year? You know, I don't know that. Um, I'm going to tell you, I was very happy with my Pappy allocation this year, uh, this past year in 2018, but was extremely upset about my Buffalo Trace Antique collection. So I don't know if they decided to to cut me on one and give me more of the other, thinking that would keep me quiet and keep me happy, if you will. Um but yeah, I can tell you, I got one bottle of birthday bourbon this year. I've always gotten two, and not that that's a lot, especially when I hear and see other markets and what they get. Um, and so I flat out asked the the Brown Foreman guy two weeks ago when he was in the store, you know, hey, I'd be glad to do a Jack Daniels barrel again. I'd be happy to do a Woodford Reserve and an Old Forester barrel at the store because I know we can sell them. Is that going to get me any more birthday bourbon? He flat out looked at me. He said, no, because the state of Nebraska is only getting so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, then at that point, we have to make a decision. But uh, at least he was honest and he was he seemed to be pretty clear about, you know, he doesn't really like I think Fred said he doesn't control where those bottles go once they come into the state of Nebraska as far as what account gets them. Yeah, absolutely. So to kind of wrap this up, uh, you know, and this has been a fantastic conversation. And, you know, Mike, I, I really love the passion that you have here. You can tell that you've 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 got a lot of a lot to talk about in this. but. You know, since you've you've gone from I don't know one dark side to the other, maybe you're seeing the light. I don't know which which is the better end here. But now that you're on the other end, how's your view changed uh, to be now dealing with the people that you once were of of a salesperson? You know, somebody sent me a uh, I don't know what you call them a GIF or whatever those things are. <laughs> Um, a Forrest Gump running, you know, when in a movie when he takes off down the lane and gets out on the road and takes off. And I literally said, that's me at the end of the month when I see the salespeople coming. (laughs) (laughs) Because they've all got some deal that's the best that's ever been. And, you know, and, and, but again, my perception is I've learned how to control it and learned how to understand it. And, you know, with all this innovation from all these different flavors, you know, um, that uh, there's only so much real estate in a store. And even the big stores, you know, there's only so much they can put down and, and carry on their shelves before they run out of room. And so something has to give. So I just kind of look at basically what's the value for that particular product that comes in. And to one of Fred's points earlier, I kind of look for those craft uh, distilleries. I'm just looking for a variety of whiskey that I think tastes good. I don't want to sell something to you or anybody else that you're going to take home and whether you pay $30 or $100 uh, and be like, oh my gosh, I've had Buffalo Trace and this is horrible compared to that. Uh, It's a a shame that you have to do your own research as a store owner because these craft distilleries are paying these distributors to push their brands for them. And that, you know, they're not, you as a store owner going out of your way to, to get those people involved and in a chance in the dance. uh, And it, it just sucks because, like, what is the point of a distributor for a brand that's, you know, a craft brand? Because it's just a pass-through, and it doesn't seem like they're doing any service for them. And and also, would you like to iterate what they're usually costing on top of, of, of a cost? What do you mean? 
Well, uh, Ryan, we 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 know what how many points that distributors take on top of it. You want to kind of talk about that? Yeah, and it's you know you're paying you know for us to do distribution here, we're paying a twenty five percent margin, not twenty five percent markup. So it's twenty five percent margin on the FOB costs that we're sending to them, and then on top of that, the retailer is taking twenty five percent margin. On top of that, we go through all this hard work to go pick the whiskeys, decide through them, go through all the risks, the legal stuff, all the taxes, all this stuff. And the end user is getting the most margin and the distributors are too versus the, and so as a craft brand, you know, we're like, well, what's the point, you know? So what is the point? (laughs) (laughs) That's why I just write. (laughs) But you know what? That's the benefit of being a retailer uh, to a degree is um, building brands you know, we have an advantage over maybe some of the bigger stores because we can talk to our customers and we can say, hey, I know you've never heard of Old Elk or Wyoming Whiskey or certain brands that are maybe craft that, uh, hey, you need to try this. I see you got your bottle of Buffalo Trace and your bottle of Eagle Rare, but while you're getting those two, add this on and compare them. Go home and do a blind tasting um, and you'd be surprised. And you you all know this, how quickly you can build a brand that way and, mm-hmm. and make it popular. But uh, to your point, you're right. These these wholesalers sometimes don't even know what they have in their portfolio. Um, Correct. My gosh, when I started asking about Armagnacs for the store, um, they looked like, at what is that? Like, a zombie. <laughs> you know, it's a, a what? What's that? And these are the people selling it. So yeah, it's tough. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I guess to kind of wrap this up, you know, Fred and Ryan, did we did we come away with our original hypothesis? Yes, it's confirmed. (laughs) (laughs) I agree and concur with that. No, I'm kidding. I think it's just so complex. It's, you know, I think, uh, I think you just, there's probably good people in the distributor and there's bad people. And, you know, the shame is that you can't be good in the incentivized world because whatever you incentivize, people are going to respond to. And that's the problem with everything in sales. And so, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just the way it is. I think that was my biggest takeaway from this conversation. You know, I'd, I'd always, I'd always focused in previous thought or writings about, you know, where the distributor sits. I'd always focus kind of more on the, the bigger picture, but, you know, you know, Mike really broke it down for me, you know, to the individual having to, you know, push a uh, briefcase across the, town and open it up and have some samples in there. You know, that person's trying to put food on their table. And to be honest with you, they they probably don't give two shits about our opinion on bourbon. Uh, <laughs> and they certainly don't give a flying fart about what I think about vodka. And there's probably a good chance they're not reading anything we're writing or, or posting. So, you know, these are people who are just making a, a living. And it a lot of this may just come down to um, these incentive programs that you called out as well, Ryan. And, and that's not, it's not anything that really had ever caught my attention. Um, but if you, if you grow that, you know, in one system and then you grow that across the, the various States and you see what we have here and these people are just trying to make livings. These companies are trying to keep these portfolios and we don't have a better way of ensuring that the consumer wins in this scenario. We mm-hmm. don't. Well, we'll see what the uh, legalized mafia or mob here has in store for the next few years, because, I mean, I I look at it and, 
we always say that disruption is a good thing in any industry and hopefully it it, it might come to be that one day and you know we've, we've talked about it before yeah. amazon is your disruptor in this industry jeff bezos has spent so much money in researching um this industry and uh he's got He's got feelers out everywhere, and uh, I, I got to tell you, he's going to be the person who can and will crack di- distribution. No, bourbon via drone. We'll see it one of these days. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. You're right, Fred. I really agree that uh, I don't think we've begun to see the impact of what all this is going to have on one uh, retailers, and that's all the way from mom and pops all the way up to the Costco's of the world. Uh, Amazon mm-hmm. really disrupt things, and. Uh, there's still going to be a place for people that just want to walk out their front door and go grab a bottle of uh, Basil Hayden and head home. But um, the other part of it is, yeah, that's uh, you got to be ahead of the curve. And that's why I like you guys. I read everything you guys talk about. <laughs> right, Stay so. ahead of the curve. But there, there is something about with uh, going to a liquor store and talking to the owner and having that experience of getting the bottle and holding your hand and taking it home. You know, there is is that but it's also nice the convenience of i just show up one day and there's my bottle let's crack it open so right. yeah it's it'd be nice to have both you know for but uh yeah it'd be interesting to see what happens mike i got one last question for you because you you brought it up and i know i've, I've heard other retailers talk about it what are your thoughts on costco you know i've i've had my um my run-ins um you know they're the wholesalers are at the mercy of a big, big, big company. And when Costco says they want something, they're going to get it. Uh, and the biggest thing was when none of us could get EH Taylor barrel proof, Costco had cases upon cases of it sitting on their shelf. And the wholesalers flat out said, we screwed up. We put it in open inventory and a real clever salesman went out and built it to his two Costco's. I, I find that very hard to believe, but, uh, <laughs> you know, hats off to the salesman, but, uh, you know, but again, I had to sit there and fight for them to run up to the state of South Dakota and get two cases and get it back to me. Um, so I've got a a similar story to that. Uh, back when they were doing Van Winkle barrel picks, which it's been a while. Wow. Uh, the last, uh, the last like, uh, Van Winkle, uh, uh, barrel pick, the distributor accidentally put into the, the into the Costco system, and so like some random Costco store got uh, cases of of some guy's uh, Van Winkle barrel pick, <laughs> and they're like, "What do we do with this?" <laughs> this was a long. You can't ago. sell this. I guess yeah. just put it put a dollar above margin, and we'll we'll come out ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Absolutely. So, Mike, I want to say thank you again for for joining tonight. As I'd mentioned, it, it's good to see the the passion that you have behind this, and and not only that is is having the experience and knowledge that you're able to share with with our listener base. Because I find it very intriguing to to kind of know exactly what happens. I'm glad that a lot of our thoughts were confirmed that there is no there is no magic spreadsheet. Uh, there's no formulas that figure this out. It's just uh, uh, a few people and uh, some emails that get passed around and that's that's how magic happens so i want to say thank you again for for coming on the show tonight and also give you an opportunity to give a last shout out where people can uh go to your store and check it out and get in contact with you absolutely no that's that's fine i appreciate it hey listen we work hard to bring these barrel picks and if you guys see our barrel picks when we go out we've got brett atlas jason goldberg we've got a team of people to go with us 
And uh, that's why it's, it's, it's to make sure if you get a bottle of a barrel pick that it's a good bottle. We want you to taste good bourbon. Uh, we read what Fred writes a lot. And when people come in and, and want Henry McKenna right now, we can't get our hands on a bottle. We want to steer them in something that hopefully Fred and others will be proud of. And I don't mean that personally, but the people that write, hey, we want to make sure they get something with a similar mash bill with a similar quality and, you know, that's what we're about. So that's, again, my passion is in that. And I will fight the wholesalers and I do. And I've gone to distilleries directly to uh, to get answers. All they do is then yell at the wholesaler and make them come see me. But again, sometimes you have to do that. Absolutely. Mike, I wish you owned the store next to me and uh, <laughs> you would fight for me. You, you know, it I sounds would. like, you've, you know, no, it, it's true. It seems like like people like you, owners like you make me feel good about like, that there's still going to be a place for brick and mortar, you know, that, that people you're fighting for your customers and uh, it's not just a, a commodity to you, you know, it's a passion and, and something that you're, you know, you're really fighting for your customers. So I, I definitely appreciate that. Hey, last little tip, you know what we do at our store? I put highly allocated items every once in a while, right in the middle of the Canadian section, right in the middle of the, <laughs> uh, on the bottom shelf, you know how long they will sit there and nobody will see them. Right on the stack of incentivized bottles. Right. That uh, <laughs> you know, and, it, and, it, and it's kind of funny, and I don't mean that, but those people that come in the door that, hey, how are you? Can we help you? Nope. They automatically have determined they know more than you, and they will look around. And I've got whiskey in four different locations as far as American and bourbons go, just because of, of space. Um, and then right down there on the bottom shelf next to Barton Canadian, you'll find some Weller products at times. And uh, by golly, unless I walk somebody over there, nobody's ever found them yet. <laughs> wow. There you go. What's the address awesome. again? What's the address? <laughs> Fremont, Nebraska. There we go. So make sure you check out uh, Mike over at Jack's Liquor and Wine in Fremont, Nebraska. You know, like I said, this is fantastic. Thank you again for, for coming on the show tonight. And go ahead and check out his store. But also at the same time, make sure you're following Fred on all the social media channels, uh, the Curation Desk on YouTube, uh, follow Bourbon Pursuit as well. And then, you know, one of the things that we had talked about is one of the ways that we help bring a little bit extra to our community is we let Patreon folks be able to watch these live as they happen and, and actually ask questions. So thank you to our community. And if you want to learn more about it, go to patreon.com slash Bourbon Pursuit. So with that, fellas, thank you again for joining us and we'll see everybody next week. Mm-hmm.